Good morning. Welcome back to the Broadcast Retirement Network. I'm Jeff Snyder. This is BRN Weekly for Saturday, December 23rd, 2023. And our top story today is the Santa Claus rally for real. Well, joining me now to break it all down is Jane King. She's a financial journalist joining us from the NASDAQ. Jane, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year's to you. Thanks so much for joining us in the program this morning. Yes, great to be with you, Jeffrey. Happy New Year. Yep, Happy New Year and our last uh, official BRN Weekly. You've been a great addition. I just want to say uh, shout out to my mom who loves watching Gene King but uh, and, and a lot of other people, by the way. But you've been a great addition. Your analysis, spot on. So appreciate that. We look forward to partnering again in 2024. Uh, Jane, I want to ask you about the Santa Claus rally. So have, have we been naughty or have we been nice? <laughs> well, Santa was in full force this year. I mean, this started like it was almost like clockwork. November 1st. Remember, we had that horrible September and October. Things are terrible. November 1, boom. I mean, things just started going up and we haven't even looked back. So, I mean, we had that sell off, you know, 400 points or so in, in right before Christmas, but um, turned around, made it almost all of it back up the next day and charging forward. So, the markets clearly want to go higher and we'll see what happens in the new year. Yeah, I mean, we're not going to prognosticate here, but when you look at some of the data, Jane, uh, I know they revised, I think they revised down the GDP number for Q3 or the Q3 number was a l trending a little bit downward. But overall, uh, job claims, everything, the, the financial, the economic outlook, pretty positive going into 2024. Well, and, and, but it's not so positive that the Fed couldn't lay off interest rate increases. So, that's what the markets love. I mean, we've got like the GDP number, I think it was 4.9%. We expected a little higher than that, but that was actually good news um, because it means that the market's not overheating. The Fed can, you know, has a little wiggle room in terms of interest rates. So even that was seen as a positive. Yeah. And, and any sense from the, you know, here we are, we're talking on the, we always talk Friday morning. So it's the 22nd, but any sense of how retailers did uh, Black Friday, or I guess after Halloween, because that's when they started doing a lot of the sales. Yeah. But are, are they in the clear? Because, and I want to put that in the context, there's like all this credit card debt. And I wonder if consumers held back or if they actually went out and just said, hey, screw it, I'm going to buy something because it's a revenge, revenge buying. So I, I think the takeaway is that the season has been pretty good. We saw Black Friday, uh, very strong. Cyber Monday was very strong. People are charging things on credit cards and on these new buy now, pay later apps like Affirm and Klarna and others. So those are getting a lot of use. In fact, those are up 40% compared to last year. Um, so while sales have been good, a lot of retailers have said they've noticed people are, are looking more for discounts. They're waiting longer on big purchases. So there's kind of like, it's almost like a tale of two stories. Sales are going well, but people are still cautious. I think they're just really looking for deals. Yeah, look, I mean, who wouldn't, right? I mean, with, I think jobless claims are down, if I'm not mistaken, I, if I re recall the last report, but I'm not sure that people's salaries have kept pace with this, this inflation. So maybe people are just like, how can I get, the, how can I get what I want? Do I really need that? So they're prioritizing and they're saying uh, yes or no. And, and can I get a deal over here at Target versus Amazon versus Walmart, right? I mean, that's, that's really right. what they're trying to do. Um, online sales were as high as they were during the pandemic. And the theory is that people were looking for deals. So they were going online and they could compare prices, you know, with inflation. And so that was why we saw so much buying online this year. Yeah. And last question, uh, I can't, you're sitting in front of the NASDAQ 
or not actually in front of the building, but you're sitting in front of the big board at the NASDAQ. Um, well, maybe you're outside. I don't know. I don't know. I forget how it's all configured. But anyway, uh, you're not banging your way in. But I guess uh, I want to ask you about the Magnificent 7 tech stocks. Uh, we talked a little bit about that last week. Um, expectations for 2024. Uh, AI still seems to be the, the hot topic. So do we expect that to continue? But what about Meta, Google, or Alphabet and some of the other uh, tech stocks? And these stocks have been on fire this year. I think I saw Meta was up 178%. It was one of the best performing, not just stocks, but assets of anything um, globally. So um, typically when you have a performance like that, that does not repeat for a second year. Now I know I'm bucking the analysts who are like, you know, AI, woo, this is going to keep going. What do they know, Jane? What do they know? Yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't, I, I mean, I just, historically, you don't see that. Typically what you see are the companies that are stocks that have underperformed, sectors that have underperformed do well in the next year. We saw it this year. Tech was an underperformer in 2022, by far the strongest sector this year. So what sectors have underperformed in 2023? Energy, that's been a big one. Oil yeah. prices have been down. Energy stocks have been down. I would keep my eye on that for next year. But who knows? Time will yeah, tell. No. And look, I, I, Apple, they finally, after seven years, I bought, it, I bought my wife and I a new iPhone. So they finally got us. Hopefully, they'll come up with some new innovative products. They're kind of still, in my opinion, I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but they're kind of staying on the, the device as the, uh, the main driver yeah. of well, the last one I got was, I think it was 2020 because they added the 5G that year. And so I was like, well, that's enough for an upgrade. But I haven't upgraded since then. And I don't know you know, if I need to anytime soon. No, I mean, from my perspective, I, I didn't really need to. Had I not had dropped my iPhone 10 numerous times, my wife's like, You're, it's just time. It is just time. Jane, we're going to leave it there. We wish you and your family and, of course, our audience a happy new year. And we look forward to having you back on the program in 2024. We'll see you then. Thanks, Jane. Wishing you a very happy new year. We'll see you in 2024. And when we come back, we'll take a look at some of our best segments for the week. You're going to want to stay tuned right here on BRN Weekly. Imagine a new television network that will make you richer, healthier, and in control of your financial future. This network is for the policewoman in Nashville, Tennessee, the baker in Dubuque, Iowa, the teacher in Lexington, Kentucky. We want to make the idea of savings and retirement culturally relevant. But what do you see as a defining issue of the midterms? Especially for the smaller businesses. I mean, they are the lifeblood of the American economy. Featuring exclusive interviews, current affairs, and docu-series. 33 yeah. years old, you retired early. The philosophy is money only matters if it helps you live a life that you love. But you gotta start thinking about retirement as soon as you get in. The Broadcast Retirement Network will drive very high engagement with premium partnerships. So this isn't retirement and savings for your parents or grandparents. This is for all Americans. And we're gonna change the way you think about money. Welcome 
to the next frontier of retirement and savings. This is BRN, the Broadcast Retirement Network. Welcome back. Well, it was another great week of topics, great guests, great shows overall. We kicked off the week at discussing harnessing the power of technology as we age. Let's take a look. When I first um, engaged with Oaks, they were based in Brooklyn, but they would travel to what they would call their partners throughout the community. So they um, traveled to Harlem, where I am. They would go to Brooklyn, different areas of Brooklyn, Queens, wherever seniors congregated and wanted some type of additional technology assistance or even um, initial technology assistance. Um, initially, like back in 2012, I believe it was way more difficult. Um, nowadays, um, when seniors kind of want to know how to do something um, via iPad or the community, I mean, com computer, they're quick to go onto YouTube. Yeah. But back in 2012, that was not the um, lay of the land at the time. So I know personally when Oates came to um, Abyssinian, I was doing some work with Abyssinian Development Corporation. And when they came to the community space, you could tell how intimidated just about all of the seniors were with even trying to turn the iPad on. And like within about maybe a good two, three, maybe four sessions, you yeah. saw the comfortability because the instructor, and I'm so sorry, I don't remember his name, he just made them feel so relaxed. And he was actually a senior. So I think that kind of knocked down a little bit of the intimidation because it was a senior teaching other seniors. And even with the transition to telehealth, um, Zooming so much, because again, a lot of seniors who have family that may be down south or in different boroughs, that's how they kind of stayed in touch during the pandemic. And um, I know in Harlem particularly, um, Zooming, iPadding was great, but there was still a digital divide as far as having um, high tech um, internet service. Yeah, so, yeah. and I know that was one of the things that you know happened with some younger students as well. So it's one thing to learn the technology, but also making sure that high speed connections are in place so that when senior and at a discounted cost, because one issue, and I remember I spoke to an elected official in my community um, during the pandemic. I was like, you need to cooperate and partner with these cable companies so that at the end of the day, they're offering discounts for seniors and for low-income pe people, especially during the pandemic. So it's one thing to have the technology, but then not to be able to have the high-speed connections so that you can get the best of the device that you're using is kind of counterproductive. Um, Next up, we discussed what's becoming effective on January 1st with Secure 2.0. Let's take a look. There was a, yeah, a, a relatively small piece of Secure 2.0 provides something that we've worked for for a number of years in the 529 industry to allow some transition, some kind of rollover or you know contribution from a 529 account to a Roth IRA. Uh, you know, for years we hear there are ways in which people can use a Roth to help fund education, and that's fine, but you've never had that reciprocal piece. So I think this fits that bill and addresses something that we've had for years 
people re being afraid of putting too much into their 529 for fear it gets stuck there. And so this is yet another way that people can move money from a 529 should they find the need at some point in the future into a Roth IRA. So it's a limited ability to move money from a 529 to a Roth IRA at its simplest. There are some, some rules around that, um, but I think it's a really nice planning opportunity for people and it just takes away that um, mostly unfounded fear of money being stuck in a 529 and then there being a, a negative financial uh, result because of that. It's, and some of this, we're not 100% sure, but the industry has really come together. And that's, I think, been a really nice thing that that Virginia 529 and, and our um, colleagues across the country have spent a lot of time talking about this and trying to interpret. We have requested guidance from Treasury. We anticipate it coming sometime in 2024, but the rule takes effect January 1, 2024. So we have had to make some assumptions, and we've done that. And that's based on what we heard from Congress was congressional intent. You know, it is based on the way we run 529 programs. So we, we think we're right, but we don't know 100%. What we do know is that the account, an account, has to have been established for at least 15 years. Now, what we've interpreted is that it doesn't have to be, you know, the exact same account with the same account owner and the same beneficiary for 15 years. There's a relating back, and that's typical for a 529 account because there's pretty, there's a lot of flexibility to change an account owner or a beneficiary for a 529 account. So as long as you can trace an account uh, for 15 years, our interpretation is that will work for purposes of the Roth rollover or, or transition. Um, that's another characterization Everything we can tell and the the new rules for the the form to report on, on a, a Roth contribution seems to support this, that it will be treated as a contribution that is new money to the Roth. So um, you won't need to be tracing whether they're its earnings or, um, you know, the uh, your principal was when you roll it over, which you would in a rollover. Um, so even though the language of the statute uses rollover, transfer, and contribution, which makes it a little bit confusing. Uh, the, excuse me, the interpretation is that this will be considered for Roth purposes as contribution of new money, although we will be reporting out to folks what the the breakdown is between contributions and earnings when we, when we send the distribution. Um, so that's a little bit of a complexity. There's a five-year rule that I hope doesn't confuse people too much, but it basically just looks and says the money has to have been, or some money has to have been in your 529 account for five years prior to the Roth contribution. So it isn't a question of how you can use it or how long it has to be in that Roth account so much as when you can move the money from the 529. Um, there's a $35,000 maximum contribution from 529 to Roth, and that that's uh, per individual, that's a lifetime cap. That has to be transferred annually. So you can't exceed the Roth contribution, which goes up to 7000 I think that's right, in 2024 um, per, for an individual. So you can do it over a number of years. And then the other number, the other requirement is that whatever amount you're contributing has to have essentially been in the account five years prior to the contribution to the Roth. 
So you sort of look at what was in your 529 account. Let's say you had $35,000 in there uh, 2018. Then as of January 1, 2024, you could start rolling over all of that money. It would take you whatever it would take you five years to do that because you have to do it in $7,000 increments. Um, if there's more money over that, again, this is one where we don't necessarily have clarity that five years should continue to roll. So it feels like a planning opportunity to make sure that you've got that $35,000 in there over time, as long as you, you pay attention to that five-year rule. And all of it is just designed to prevent people from, you know, dumping money into a 529 account and then moving it to a Roth right away. And so, you know, do I think the rules are maybe a little more complicated than they needed to be? Yes. Um, that happens sometimes with federal legislation. But I think if if you just sort of think about it, work through it, work with a financial advisor, your your accountant, whoever you work with on this type of thing, if you don't do it yourself, you can figure it out. But we think there's a lot of flexibility and we're trying to build that in. Um, the other thing to think about is that it doesn't really matter so much who the account owner is, but you have to have a matching between the 529 beneficiary and the owner of the Roth IRA. So in most instances, that would be the student. Um, and I think it's a really, I think it's a wonderful planning opportunity because we know that young people don't start saving early enough in general for retirement. And so this is a way I think for a parent to jumpstart it. If they end up with a few dollars left in a 529 account, if they're lucky enough to have that happen after their student you know, finishes college and they think they're, that they're done and they want to make that transfer, then you could fund a, a Roth IRA just to get them started. And, and I think that it might sit there, you know, who knows what will happen to it, but it's just a nice planning opportunity to get that jump started. But again, another interpretation that we've made is that there are no restrictions on changing beneficiaries in your 529 account. There are no tax implications as long as you do it within your family tree, basically up and down the family tree. So if an account owner changes the beneficiary to themselves, then when they make that Roth transfer, the beneficiary at the time would be the account owner, and then you could fund the Roth for yourself. So for someone who has maybe funded their children's education and said, oh, but I didn't put quite enough into my own retirement, it's an opportunity, again, limited, but an opportunity to, to put some of that money back into your retirement fund um, by making those changes. So a few complexities in it, but but some nice planning opportunities. And the technical corrections did not address um, these threshold questions. And the main ones really are making sure that that 15-year relates back. We feel pretty comfortable with that. Again, that's yeah. that's every indication is that that is correct. That's what we'll be doing. And I also feel confident that if Treasury should decide uh, we're wrong, there'll be an opportunity to fix it. You know, that they, they, they will allow us, if we're giving advice, telling people we think you can do this and we're allowing them to do it, Treasury is usually pretty good at, at, at providing a window to undo or, or to fix whatever happens. So I'm not too concerned about that. That's the main one, that and the changing of the beneficiary. And again, there's just no indication and there's no reason that you shouldn't be able to change the beneficiary because we've always been able to do that for 529 accounts for all other 529 purposes. So to me, it just makes sense. Um, and But they've said sometime in 2024. So that's when we anticipate it. But whether that's going to be early in 24 or later, 
No clue. And that wraps up this episode of BRN Weekly. Have a topic of interest, someone you think we should talk to, drop us a line. And don't forget, for all the latest curated news and lifestyle, wellness, finance, tech, so much more in all in one place, check out today's edition of our daily newsletter, The Morning Pulse. Want to search our archives, check out our latest content, then visit our website. We're back again tomorrow for our last edition of BRN Sunday. I'll be joined by David Levine, one half of the Legal Eagles and part of Groom Law Group. And then Oliver Rennick of the Schwab Network will be here to break down markets one last time for the year. Until then, I'm Jeff Snyder. Stay safe, keep on saving, and don't forget, roll with the changes. Now is your opportunity to co-create content around any topic on the first lifestyle and wellness network. Reach a global audience through our platform and co-own exclusive branded content. All of our programs are available on demand and also as audio-only podcasts so you can take us on the go. Broadcast Retirement Network, available anytime, anywhere, and on any device.